This message was presented at the GYC 2011 conference. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time that we can once again open your word. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit is here even as we open uh, what your word to see what you have to say about small groups in the New Testament. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of this module is Re-Evolution. Now, it's not revolution, it's re-evolution. The reason why we've titled this module Re-Evolution is because a process of evolution or the process of re Forming something or creating, recreating something or reviving something, we believe that small group ministry, effective small group ministry, has always been around. And so, what we need, we, we studied this morning in the uh, module one, that we need the Holy Spirit to help us to re evolve effective evangelistic small group ministry. Now, we looked at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. This morning, I want to share with you a little bit more uh, on that. We'll do a short recap as we get into Module 2. The pen of inspiration writes that the lay members of our churches can accomplish a work which as yet they have scarcely begun. We know that the apostles have already shown an example of small group ministry. But the pen of inspiration tells us that there are things that we can do which we have scarcely begun. And this afternoon, we're going to look at one of those things that we can do, which is small group ministry. To recap from this morning, we looked at Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. We also looked at Joel chapter 2. We saw a re-evolved early church. The same group of people with a different spirit, the same group of people with a different attitude, the same group of people with a different outlook. We saw some key segments of small group ministry. Do you remember what they are? Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, we saw aspects of prayer, we saw aspects of doctrine, we saw aspects of breaking bread and fellowship. With evangelistic and outreach focus, the laity or every member was involved, and there was a personal and there was a corporate component to the two. Now someone asked the question this morning, is Acts chapter 2 the only place in the Bible where you find, or the only place where you find reference to small groups? The answer is no, and this afternoon, we're going to go through some of the examples in the Bible. Now, on, your, on the first page of your worksheet, uh, on the workbook there, you have all the references in the New Testament to small groups, house groups, church groups, whatever you want to call them, small group ministry. And so the answer to the question is no. Acts chapter 2 verse 42 is only one of the references where in the New Testament you see that the Holy Spirit is inspiring apostles or the disciples to do small group ministry. We're going to look at some of them. I'm not going to read them all because um, we, of lack of time, but if you look at them, the first reference we have there is Acts chapter 1, verse 13. They went into the upper room. You saw a small fellowship group. We learned about that this morning. We have Acts chapter 2, verse 46. Acts 5, verse 42. They went every house. Acts 8, verse 3. Saul went to the houses to draw the Christians out. And this is a reference that shows that the lifeblood of the early apostles or the lifeblood of the early church is within the house. Small group ministry, small group fellowship, small group witnessing is crucial or was crucial to the early apostles' success. Acts chapter 9 verse 39, 10 verse 2, 11 verse 12, 12 verse 12, 16 verse 15. The interesting one is Acts chapter 17. I want you to turn with me there, Acts chapter 17. 
we're going to read a little bit about the story. So this is when Paul comes to Thessalonica, and here we pick the story up in 17 verse 5. Acts chapter 17 verse 5, the Bible says, But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. So let me get this, let me, let me paint the picture a little bit. Paul has journeyed to this place in Thessalonica. And where is he based? He's based in a house. Now I'm not trying to say that Paul did not preach at the church or the synagogue, but Paul's ministry in that city was based out of a house. The house of? Jason. And when these Jews who were upset with Paul came, could not find Paul, they dragged Jason and some other people who were in the house out and said, where are the men who what? Turned the world upside down. The success of Paul, the success of the early church, the success of the apostles was because, and when they turned the world upside down, they did so from a small group that I'm not saying that church ministry is not important or fellowshipping in a large congregation like we are here at GYC is not important, but the effectiveness of Paul's work in the early, and the early missionaries was because of small group ministry. And you go on, you look at uh, Acts 17, 18, 19, 20, and all the way through you see every city that Paul went to, every city that the missionaries went to, they stayed in someone's house. They ministered out of someone's house. It was Aquila, Priscilla, Crispus, Tyrannus, etc., etc. They were all involved in small group ministry out of the household. If we want to discover the success, the keys to success of small group ministry, we need to go back to finding out what they actually did in those houses. Don't you agree? We're going to look now at a little bit of a reference to certain things. But before I do that, I just want to touch on it briefly. You notice that throughout the references, when you go back and have a look at them in Acts, you notice that every single person, every single person was involved. In a house setting, in a house setting, it's easy for people to get involved. Does that make sense? Because they, when the person, when Paul or someone else comes to, to the city, they're housing them and they're ministering at the same time to the members or the, the non-believers in the city. The question I want to ask as, as, we, as we touch on it this uh, afternoon is why did the disciples feel the need for every single person to be involved. In the Lord's work, there are to be no idlers. Let different ones unite in labour as fishers of men. Evangelism, page 115. In module 1, this morning, we covered the fact that different people are given different spiritual gifts. And the key to successful small, one of the keys to successful small group ministry is combining these different spiritual gifts so that as a package, your small group can effectively reach people of different cultures, different backgrounds, different languages, people of different de- demographic uh, age groups. The key to successful, personal, uh, successful small group ministry is the involvement of every single person. A small group cannot successfully function, and you see that in the apostles, the small group cannot effectively function if you are carrying baggage. Does that make sense? Baggage in the sense of one person's carrying five people along. An effective, relevant, 
successful small group is when every single person is involved. To everyone, work has been uh, allotted and no one can be a substitute for another. I want to change tack a little bit now. I want to look at the early Adventist pioneers. So we know in the early uh, apostolic church, we see that there are examples of small group, successful small group ministry. Acts chapter 2, we've read the rest of Acts. We have seen the success of the apostles. But many times, we stop there and don't look anywhere else. You know, as Adventists, we are unique. There are many people out there in the world today who have successful small groups. There are many, I'll repeat that again, there are many people out there in the world today who have successful small groups, Christian or non-Christian, because they realise the importance and the effect of small group ministry. As Adventists, we are unique. We have the tools and we have the principles of successful small group ministry, but we also have a unique message. So what, not only do we have to, to, to gather the principles, gather the tools that we have, we also have a unique message that we can share. And that sets us apart from other small groups. sets us apart from other small group ministries. I say that because as we come into the pen of inspiration, there are unique gems, keys, principles that Ellen White gives us. And I'm going to spend a little bit of time focusing on that this, uh, this afternoon about small group ministry. The first experience that Ellen White had of class meetings, I'm going to tell a few stories here, so uh, just, just try, if you can't follow along, it will all be in the workbook uh, there with some key, key blanks for you to fill in. The first experience that Ellen White had with a small group ministry or small group settings was class meetings. Class meetings came from the Methodist church in the 1800s. They were organised um, by, by the leaders of that church and the early Adventist pioneers had exposure to this, including Ellen White. They evolved these class meetings, evolved into weekly prayer meetings, and these groups provided Bible study, prayer, testimonies, fellowship. Very interesting, right? The components are the same as Acts chapter 2. So it's not only the Adventist church that has discovered small group ministry, there are other groups out there who have successful, effective small group ministry. They evolved into weekly prayer meetings. The principle, the purpose of these class meetings was for the encouragement of the members, fellowship of the members, communion of the members, to encourage the members of these meetings to be united. They were driven by lay members, not pastors. Another of the keys to successful small group ministry is driven by lay members. Now, I'm not trying to say here that pastors are not important, Pastors are important. They give good advice. They give good wisdom. But they, they are limited in, um, uh, in... They can't run six or ten small groups at the same time. And so lay members are, are key to successful small group ministry. This picture is of one of the early class meetings. In fact, it's one of the uh, stories of, uh, that was told by Ellen White of how she was a participant in this uh, uh, class meeting uh, movement. In Australia, this uh, class meeting movement had a great impact in the 1890s. I'm going to share with you a little bit about it. What happened was, have any of you heard of the Welsh uh, Revival? Welsh Revival? 
So around the turn of the century, there was a big movement in Wales, the Welsh revival that happened. One of the components of that was a young lady who was in Melbourne at the time, and Melbourne is the, one of the second biggest city in Australia after Sydney. So in Melbourne at the time, there, were, there was a movement to actually drive some of these things forward. I'm going to share with you a little bit about that in a minute, but I'm going to touch a little bit about the Adventist work in Australia first and then come back. I use this example because we are from Australia and so it's dear to my heart. In fact, some of these things I've, um, I've actually been... There's one of these churches that I'll show you in a minute. I've been to this church. We go to this church regularly. In 1885, the first Adventist pioneer to come to Australia was S.N. Haskell. He came with five families, a total of about 15 people. During the course of the year, they ran a number of things. They did evangelistic meetings. They had two public evangelistic meetings. They did literature distribution, so they canvassed the streets, they distributed literature, and they had home Bible readings, or what, is, what had evolved from class meetings. Okay? So they had small group ministry, public evangelism, and also uh, what you call literature evangelism. By 1891, six years later, when Ellen White was in Melbourne, she first came to, to Australia in 1891, they had grown from a group of five families, about 15 people, to 700 church members. 700 church members. 15 to 700. Now, in many of your churches, I'm not sure, I, I, my, in my church, there's definitely more than 15 people. That's, that's an incredible increase from 15 to 700, percentage-wise. And so the, the question I want to ask you is, how did these early Adventist pioneers know what was best for the churches? This church here is North Fitzroy Church. That was back in the days when they had black and white photography. This is what it looks like today. North Fitzroy Church is the oldest Adventist church in Australia. Ellen White preached at this church. In fact, there's a little plaque that shows that she was there in the 1890s that she preached at this church. Our church in Melbourne Gateway Adventist Centre, we don't have a baptismal font because we meet at the university. And so we borrow this church whenever we have a baptism. And so every time we go to this church, we're reminded of the significance of the Adventist work in Australia. This was the place where from 15 people in Australia, they grew to 700. They grew to 700. I was talking a little bit earlier about the Australian revival or the Welsh revival. They, in the 1890s, this, the Haskell and his group were caught up in the, a movement that was sweeping Melbourne. There were 2,000 small groups every week in the city of Melbourne. That was in, that's incredible. Now I must say, these are not all Adventist small groups. These are uh, Christian small groups of, of major denominations. In fact, some of the major um, denominations came together, invited an evangelist by the name of Torrey to come out in 1903 to preach public evangelism. And thousands of souls were baptized. Tori's an American evangelist, from what I understand. One of the ladies who, who came to what was in part of this 2000 small group movement in Melbourne went back to Wales and was one of the key uh, people in the Welsh revival in the 1900, early 1900s. <coughs> so it's not new, it's not only during the Apostles' time that we see the significance and the impact of small groups. In the early Adventist church, in Australia anyway, I'm sure and elsewhere as well, there was success in small group ministry. So there's no reason that in 2011 we cannot have success in small group ministry. There's no reason. If someone can go from 15 to 700 in six years by doing evangelistic series, small groups and literature evangelism, I think we can do it too. 
The key we learned this morning, Gospel Workers, page 193, your success will not depend so much upon your knowledge and accomplishments as your ability to find your way to the heart. By being social and coming close to the people, you may turn the current of their thoughts more readily than by the most able discourse. Very, very interesting passage. Ellen White says that the success of reaching people is not to preach to them, but to what? Be social. Very interesting. Why does the prophet of God write that the thing we need to do is, yes, we need to preach, but besides preaching, we need to be social, we need to be friendly, we need to befriend people. Because by befriending people, you reach their what? Their heart. This morning we learned that the Holy Spirit, we need the Holy Spirit in our heart before we can experience the joy of serving in an effective small group. It goes one step further. Here we see that we are encouraged to reach the hearts of who? Our friends, our family, our neighbours. It needs to be twofold. Our hearts need to be reached, but we also need to reach the hearts of others. It's a very interesting passage here. We're going to go through a number of passages here about what Ellen White says about small group ministry. From the light which I have received, our meetings should be what? Spiritual and social and what? Not too long. Very interesting. You know, most of the times when we talk about meeting as small groups or meeting as small groups, it's either spiritual or social. Right? It's either spiritual or social. We don't combine the two. Either we go to prayer meeting or we go out for a bushwalk or a hike. You guys call it a hike, sorry. Either it's Bible study group or you go, I don't know, do, do something, exercise in the park or go to someone's house for a board games night. We don't combine the two. But Ellen White says here the effective, effective ministry, effective ministry should be spiritual and social and what? Not too long. Why is that the case? Often we dread because, you know, I, you know Mrs. Page mentioned it this morning in her, in, her, um, in her plenary session at lunchtime. Sometimes we, we dread it when we go to prayer meetings because it goes on and on and on. The success of small group ministry is social, spiritual and effective. When you're effective, you don't need to drag it out. When you're effective, you don't need to prolong it. When you're effective, it's not too long for yourself. It's not too long for the people you're trying to meet. Remember here when we're talking about effective evangelistic small groups, we're talking about people who are Adventists at the same time as people who are what? Non-Adventists. We're not talking here about just a purely Adventist small group, small group ministry, and I believe Ellen White is talking about small group ministry. I'll share with you a little bit later. She's talking about groups which have Adventist believers and non-Adventist believers. If you make it too long, as we will learn in a little while, it can be detrimental. As she starts to write in the, the, the later part of her life, as she's, she's in... Uh, Australia, she starts to put some points together and I'm going to go through five key points with you here this afternoon about Ellen White's writings on small groups, church groups, house groups, class meetings. She uses a different terminology here. She uses, sometimes she uses the words cottage meetings as well. So if you go back and you're going to search Ellen White's writings on small group ministry, there are a number of variable terms that she uses. Small groups, uh, house meetings, class meetings, cottage meetings, Bible readings, the home, etc. 
First one, large churches should have what? Small groups. Effective churches, no matter how big you are, the success is what? In the formation of small groups. In fact, she says here, the formation of small companies as a basis of Christian effort is a plan that has been presented before me by one who cannot err. Ellen White says in uh, Evangelism, page 115, the basis of Christian effort, the basis of reaching someone else for Jesus is, a pl- is, is to form, form or the formation of small groups. Now, here, remember again, we're not trying to discount any other form of ministry. We're not trying to discount health work or public evangelism or, or, or canvassing, door knocking, anything. But the formation of small companies is a basis because it what? It reaches the heart. Point number two. Small groups commonly meet in private homes or by the fireside. So in those days they had fireplaces. Today there's no fireplaces, so meet, meet by the I don't know, table or, or in private homes. Throughout Acts you see that every time the uh, apostles were in a particular city, they went to a what? A house. What happened to that house? The activity in a house is usually around the fireside. Isn't that right? When it's cold in winter, people often sit around the fire to get warm and talk and chat and have a drink and, and catch up and pray and, and encourage each other. Ellen White knew, or, was, or was re- it was revealed to her, that effective small group ministry in a place where people normally catch up is what you have to do. Point number three. Oh, before we get there, so the, the reference to that is Gospel Workers 193, the presentation of Christ in the family by the fireside in small gatherings in private houses is often more successful in winning souls to Jesus than are sermons delivered in the open air to the moving throng or even in halls or churches. Notice, this is the second time. We read once already. This is the second time. She says that preaching is important. Public evangelism is important. But what may be more successful in winning souls is what? Gatherings in private houses on the fireside. When you meet someone one-on-one, when you meet someone in a small group setting, it can be more effective than when you preach a big sermon. So point number one was, large churches should have small groups. Point number two, small groups should be where? Part of the home, around the fireside, places where people gather so that you can catch up with them on an informal basis. Point number three, Small groups meet in the evening, the morning, whichever is convenient. Remember, small groups meet in the evening or morning, whatever day of the week you want, so long it is convenient. As you'll see later on, we notice that the convenience factor is important. We're not compromising uh, our principles for convenience, but convenience is important, especially when you're trying to reach non-Adventist believers. If someone feels like it's a burden or a chore to come to a small group, then the likelihood of you being effective in reaching that person is diminished. If they find it a convenience, if they find it a joy, if they find it comfortable to come to a small group, the chance of you trying to reach that soul for Christ is higher. Does that make sense? It's just like when you, when you know someone well, it's easier to ask a favour of someone. When you don't know them well, it's harder to ask a favour because you're not sure how they react. Point number three, small groups meet in the evening, morning, whichever is convenient. Point number four, now this one's interesting. Small groups, cottage meetings, home meetings, should minister to three groups of people. 
First group of people, baptized church members. Second group of people, or the second purpose of the small groups is to minister to unbelievers. And third one is to win souls to Jesus. First one, baptized church members, win souls to Jesus, minister to unbelievers. So it's very interesting here. Ellen White mentions that small group ministry is as much for our benefit as Adventists, but also for whose benefit? Non-believers. So when you come to a small group, you are challenged yourself. Adventists should have small groups. Adventists should have Adventist believers in small groups. The Adventist church should have small groups where Adventist members can go. But it doesn't end there. Too often, as, as groups in our churches, we like to end in Adventist believers coming together. Full stop. You get together with your friends, you get the people you're familiar with, you get together with a church youth group, and you stop. But effective small group ministry witnesses to people who are non-Adventists. Let me give you some of the quotes here. Evangelism 115 again. If there is a large number in the church, let the members be formed into small companies to work what? Not only for the church members, but for unbelievers also. Twofold. We are encouraging each other as church members, but we are also witnessing to non-believers. Does make sense? We meet together to edify one another. This is Testimonies, Volume 2578. We receive refreshment and vigour from the source of our strength. These meetings should be most precious seasons and should be made interesting to all who have any relish for what? Religious things. Who is this referring to? Adventists or non-Adventists? Non-Adventists, people who show spiritual interest should come to these groups. Point number five. Elements include Bible study, Bible reading, prayer, social time, or coming close to the people as she puts it, and testimony. And we're going to look at some quotes here. So point one, large churches should have small groups. Point two, small groups commonly meet in private homes or by the fireside. Point three, small groups meet in the evening, the morning, whenever it is convenient. Point four, Small groups are to minister to baptized church members and also to non-believers. And point number five, the elements of the small group should include Bible study, Bible readings, prayer, social time and testimonies. What do you notice about this list? What do you notice about this list? It's identical to what? Acts chapter 2. It's identical to Acts chapter 2. It's identical to what people were successful in doing in the early 1900s. The components haven't changed. Just like we we studied in the first module, the principles have never changed. Effective small group ministry principles have always been there. But the key is how we approach it with our hearts prepared. Make these meetings intensely interesting. Sing genuine revival hymns and speak, this is the class meetings or the home meetings she's referring to, and speak with power and assurance of the Saviour's love. Speak on temperance and on what? True religious experience. So she asks us to what? Sing songs. She asks us to speak with power and speak of Jesus' love. She says, speak on temperance and on true religious experience. What is true religious experience? I believe true religious experience is your own personal testimony. It's conversion experience. It's not just preaching the Word of God. In fact, sometimes your testimony can do much more than 2,000 sermons combined. And all these components have always been there. Singing, 
sharing the gospel, sharing the Bible, speaking on temperance, speaking on your personal testimony. Here's another one. Meetings for conference and prayer should not be made what? Ah, very interesting. First she says, don't make it too long. Now she says, don't make it too boring, tedious. Don't make it too long. The meeting should open at the appointed hour if possible. Be there few or many present. This is second, uh, volume 2 of the Testimonies, page 578. In fact, it's very interesting here. If you, I, I bridged the thing to fit on the slide, but if you go and read the entire passage, she says that if there is only one or two members of the small group who are present at the appointed hour, start anyway. It's very interesting. She says, be punctual. Start one time. Upon common occasions, there should not be prayer of more than 10 minutes duration. It's very specific. Very specific. There needs to be singing, there needs to be sharing the Bible, there needs to be prayer, there needs to be what? Testimonies. Four components. And don't make it too long, start on time. Prayer should not go on for, drag on for too long. People should feel comfortable in this situation, in a small group, yet be able to connect with the Holy Spirit, be able to connect with God. I'm going to pause for a minute here and reflect on the, uh, this slide here. Small groups should complement other church ministries. Remember that the small groups in itself is not a separation from the church. We're not trying to create an extra church here. We're not going to trying to create a para-church. A small group is not a church. A small group is a component of our Adventist church. It's a component. It's an effective component for encouraging people to, to come to God. In fact, as we will share, uh, my sister will share later on, what we do in our small groups is we invite the people or the non-believers in our small groups to come to church. We don't invite them to come to small groups and stop. We say small groups is an avenue to invite them to come to church where they learn more about God. Does that make sense? Small groups do not replace Sabbath worship. They they do not replace Sabbath school. They do not replace prayer meetings that do not replace other things in the church. They are complementary and additional to other ministries. So we're not here to say that small groups is the only thing that you need to do in your church if you want to be successful, but it is one of the things that you need to add to complement. At this time, I'm going to show you a short uh, video because uh, what we're going to do next is to go into a little bit more detail about our experience in Australia and our experience uh, with small group ministry, and then we'll, we'll go from there. So just bear with me as I uh, get the video going. Uh, because the founder... Might have to turn the lights off if that's alright. Just hit the switch on the wall. Because the founders of Gateway have been Asians, they have been really effective in reaching that 
target audience of young people anywhere from 18 to 26 years old. They are a vibrant, biblically-based, Christ-centered group of young people that are committed to the mission of Christ. They are fearless in their proclamation. Many of them are professionals, highly intelligent, and uh, they're able to reach other students. When you look at cities today, they are multi-ethnic. Uh, any city today that you look at, any major city in the world, you're going to have a high Asian population, you're going to have Hispanic populations, depending on the city. You may have Middle Eastern populations, you may have Eastern Europe populations. That's one factor that's a changing demographic in the inner city. Another aspect in the inner city is many young people moving back into the city today. Uh, the flight of the cities, I think, is over. You've got young people that are coming back into the city. They want to be where the action is. They want to be where life is. Young people today particularly are looking for authentic Christianity. They're looking for something genuine. They don't want ritual. They don't want sham. They don't want pretense. And they're willing to make unusual commitments. When you get a church like Gateway that says, look, we're not going to spend a lot of time on fluff. There are a variety of, of worship styles today. Uh, everything from the ultra-contemporary to the traditional. Gateway is a very unique church because it has, it has targeted not a worship style to attract, but it has said, look, we want to have a biblical foundation. We want to be an authentic New Testament biblical community. And what's important to us is openly following the Christian principles of the Bible. And that has attracted young people to them. It may teach us something as a religious community, and it may speak to other religious communities as well who said, you know, if I want to attract young people, maybe I need to be a little more contemporary in my music approach. Maybe I need to be a little more entertainment oriented. Maybe I need to be a little more amusement oriented. Maybe we need to capture them that way. Gateway has really taken an opposite position, I think. They've said, if you want to attract young people, you need to be authentic in who you are. And it's that authenticity of Christianity with that biblical base that has been, I think, a powerful attraction. Gateway building blocks are its care group. And today, after um, when it started with two care groups in the city, today there's about 13 care groups all around Melbourne today. And on every Friday night like this that we're in a care group, there's about 120 people meeting together. But in the past, it started with only about 8 to 10 people in the city. Now, the rationale for that is because in Acts chapter 2, we get the picture of the early church. And the picture of the early church is very different in the sense that it is more home-based. And the Bible says they met together daily, breaking bread together daily and from house to house. And they were uh, listening to the apostles' teaching. So we see Care Group a very unique element of, of Gateway in the sense that it provides that community spirit. And so what I see in Gateway is this combination of authentic biblical reality when it comes to doctrinal understanding and proclamation. Very Christ-centered, very biblical. But on the other hand, there's this warm fellowship. There is this idea that we're part of a family, part of a community. So you have this blend of biblical authority that gives young people certainty, but family that gives them fellowship. And that to me is a winning combination. I wasn't a Christian before. I was actually um, brought up in a Buddhist family. So knowing about Christian Christianity is something new for me. Um, and the, the 
principle that um, I learned in Christianity is, uh, and the, the things that I learned in Christianity um, is really uh, relevant to, um, to our life. That's what I found and that's something really um, special about Christianity and, and when you live, when you, especially when you study the Bible, read the Bible, it really tells you about, um, you know, um, give you more purpose in your life and that's what I really found different um, about Christianity. And uh, in terms of gateway, um, what I like about gateway is that because um, the friendship and the difference that a lot of people support you to know about God and they really care about your um, spiritual life not only your spiritual life but also your daily life and they really support you in many ways you know we friends you know come from different places and then we enjoy um, you know friendship together having dinner and sing together and um, sharing um, um, story about our backgrounds and you know get to know each other more you know here in a small group yeah and um, just um, study about about God as well especially yeah. the community that meets together in Kagos one of the essential elements about the community when they meet together is that there is a meal time there's opening of God's words and there's a prayer and sharing time three very important components equal parts but equally important and that what that what makes care group a caring place I think for the people that come our community that come to care group we find that they're either university students or young professionals working in the city of Melbourne and on a Friday night you have the option of going down to the parts with your mates or hanging out with a club and, and so on or you can come to a caring environment I think that's what's unique about the care group it provides an authentic relational and a caring environment and I think that's what people are looking for in a highly stressed city and there are many inner city residents in Melbourne 20 years ago in Melbourne there were five apartments in Melbourne today there are 220 apartments in Melbourne we're housing about 60 70 thousand people in the city I think there are many people in the city that are looking for a caring environment where they could find community they can find belonging and identity in a very enjoyable setting and the in the city the, of Melbourne the, it is a very um, modern and cosmopolitan city with people coming and going commuters coming in and out of the city and often in their red race in their pace they probably in the deep in the deepest part of their heart they're looking for, for community and a care group provides that environment for them there's a concept in business where we say know your customers and if you know your customer and you know their needs, then you design something that is around who they are. The same in when we want to share the gospel to people. We need to know our demographics fairly well. We need to know what needs their greatest needs in their hearts. And we need to know how to bring them together in an environment that they feel comfortable to share and to open up what's in their hearts. So if we know our target segments well, we can do something that works for them. And that's unique about Gateway. We are, we are focused in a sense. We are meeting the needs of young professionals working in the city as well as university students who, who will live and work in, and study in the city as well. Uh, because the founders of Gateway have been Asians, So yeah, that was, that was back in 2007, so it's been a while since then, and the care groups have only grown since that time, and 
We're going to share with you this afternoon a few more practical examples of, of what we do in our local church and some of the testimonies that we have as well. At this time, I'm just going to say a quick word of prayer. We're going to take a break. I think it's been about an hour since, or 45 minutes since we started. Uh, we'll say a, a prayer. We'll have about a five, ten-minute break, and we'll come back and we'll share with you some more. Say a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time where we can open your word once again. We've seen in the disciples in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, and also in the pen of inspiration, we have seen that over time and time again, there are small group ministries that are affected. But Lord, we pray that as we open again uh, this afternoon, as we continue, help us to discover the true joy of Holy Spirit-filled evangelistic small group ministry. Help us as we uh, study a little bit more later on into the principles of these small groups. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC. A supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.